This is Meandering Through the Madness, episode number 7. Get your finger off that trigger. It's a deep dive into triggering events, anxiety, and all the things affected in our day-to-day. All the way from conflict over a Facebook post, to disagreements at work, to shopping at Walmart. Now halfway into this episode, we discuss some really personal life events that might be triggering for you, the listener. So if this is something you don't want to face right now, please skip this episode. But if you feel up to some honest sharing on some really difficult topics, then let's get started. across a really interesting article in Inc. magazine mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's about uh, things that occur in your life that may upset or get you worked up and the, the title is it takes 90 seconds to process change after that it's just the story you tell yourself that matters so your response mm-hmm. matters and this you mentions mentions a neuroanatomist anatomist neuroanatomist jill bolt taylor says that it takes 90 seconds for the natural chemical process to flow through our bodies in response to a stressful trigger event and after that minute and a half it's just our emotional response to the stories we tell ourselves about what just happened so that it, that may or may not be true but it's probably not too far off so say for instance somebody's talking about something that happened with the election last week and right off the bat, we're not happy about it (laughs) and your body gives you a surge of chemicals or whatever, and you're all tense. Mm -hmm. And then if nothing else happens after a minute and a half, that would dissipate on its own, except for we don't let it dissipate because we get in there and, and continue the vibration. We just amp it up. Maybe. Absolutely. It starts to gain momentum. Yeah. That's totally based on the on the story. <laughs> That's totally based on the stories we're telling ourselves. It's so funny because this has been the theme all week for me. See, we just showed up and we took a direction. We didn't have one. <laughs> no, That's the like the class. Here we go. I went to an amazing conference this past weekend, and uh, it's called the Uncommon Woman. And what it was is a series of speakers who have lived through some pretty traumatic events. Uh, the first speaker, her brother was a molester. The second speaker, I believe, was another incest molestation. The third was a child of an alcoholic. And the fourth, her daughter had been murdered. And these women shared very vulnerably exactly what they went through. And like the, the stories were all very different, but the feelings behind them were all the same. And the underlying message was, you choose that each one of these women would go through life and their traumas and their triggers would come up and they had the it was very clear that in each story that this part was the same that they had to continuously choose to move forward or drag it and end up in pretty some pretty severe depression but these were not like expert speakers that that came from all over the world these were just like your normal everyday people and i really appreciate that about the conference was that in order to get on your stage, you have to sit in the audience. 
And then in this movement, you can choose to take the course, which I think I'm going to take, where you learn to tell your own three-minute story. And it's not really about the story that you're telling. It's just kind of putting it into a timeline and words. And you can kind of see, well, I've been carrying this for a long time. Maybe I can put it down. Because, I mean, some things you carry for decades. Yeah, and those big, that big of an event, it's going to be a little longer than a minute and a half before those dissipate on their own. Yeah. That, that's, that's not the, the same as that article was talking about. But at the same time, it's still the story that you keep telling yourself that keeps it going. But what if, just for, I mean, what if you could let it go in a minute and a half? Because there's no, nothing saying how long is an appropriate amount of grief. I guess it. What if you could train the mind to let go of them? I guess the key there would be you'd have to actually process it to let it, to, to accept it. If you could accept it, then that's possibly the way to go about it. Because and maybe that, is that like the. Like if we're looking at the election again here for a second, right now there's a lot of people that have not accepted <laughs> the results of this election. No, but so personal, right? Because yeah. I can only quest for myself. Wouldn't that, is, is maybe that enlightenment? When you can accept so readily that things have changed without going through... I don't know. Carrying emotions. Maybe, maybe my analogy of Frogger is pretty old school because nobody plays Frogger anymore. But Crossy Road might be more, more the modern game. I don't know if you've seen Crossy Road. <laughs> <laughs> You're a chicken or whatever animal and, and you hop forward and trains and various things are trying to run you down. And you've, and you've got to keep moving because if you don't, the screen catches up behind you. So you're jumping forward, 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 one step at a time, and trucks are trying to run you down and everything else. And you don't have time to stop and stare at the truck and be insulted because it's trying to run you down. You just have to hop to the next square. Go left, hop again, because as soon as you yeah. stop moving, you're crushed. I used to say Frogger because, you know, if you were out in the middle of the road and a truck was bearing down on you, you wouldn't turn and, and swear at the truck. No, you just get out of the way and hop on the log and hope there was no alligator. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have time to worry about uh, wearing at the truck. You know, it's, it's irrelevant. So I guess in a way, the election is the same way. Uh, the truck is bearing down on you now. Now get out of the way. And hope, hopefully next time you don't uh, elect an alligator. <laughs> I like the words to speak with, about politics with. It doesn't even make any sense to me whatsoever. Well, we don't need to get any more descriptive than that for sure. You don't know who lobbying for who. You don't. Yeah, Frogger. Thank you. Politics That's right. Not. Yeah, it's just a big truck bearing down on you. you know, we have to we have to learn to accept what we have, and then from there you can work on making it better, possibly. So I guess that would be the point of the conference, correct? Uh, the people would show up and tell their story, and that would allow them to move forward. Yes. And to share with other people their experiences. Yes, and ca- ca- create connection in sharing your story. Someone else like. And through each one of those stories, someone else in the audience, and it wasn't a very big audience, which is also something I really appreciated. It was about 80 people. With each story, someone stood up and said that I thought I was alone. And it was a beautiful thing to see. People recognizing for the first time that I'm not alone. And you know there was about eight men in that crowd. (laughs) That was really cool. I do know uh, from a sharing tragic things that happened in your past point of view, Maybe very many guys don't bring stuff forward, but when they do, they get treated unfairly well, no matter what. Uh, I know this from personal experience. So if you bring, you know, say molestation or whatever happened to you in your past forward, as a guy, 
and uh, you put it out there in the world, everyone's just so proud of you that you did that because you're a guy and you dare to do that. So that almost isn't fair, if you know what I mean. The only thing is that before you put it out in the world, you aren't aware that that's the case. It's a big, scary thing. It There's a lot of fear involved there. Mm-hmm. And you have to talk yourself in, into telling your story if it's that traumatic. But once you do, at that point, I felt I felt the reaction wasn't fair. Do you know what I mean? It felt sexist. <laughs> well, I mean, we can't deny what's true, though. Like, you can't deny that there has not been a very safe platform for men. And we, we did clap for those men in the room, but for joining us. Mm-hmm. Not because they were anything special, just because they were there with us hearing our stories. And I mean, I think that that praise for men who are willing to share their, you know, what do you mean by praise? I'm a little confused. It's clear as a small word. What do you mean? How? Did, yeah. I just felt like no matter what I had said, um, I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I got the feeling that everyone was astounded that I was brave enough to talk about it. And there was just full acceptance on it. And then there's been times where uh, I've read a book that a woman has come forward and told her story, for instance, and it feels like sometimes the story kind of gets marginalized. It could be because there's so many, sim- like oh, there's a lot of similar stories, unfortunately, and there's just less stories from the men, like you said, but mm-hmm. I know it just didn't feel like the reaction was the same as if, as if I was a woman and I had the exact same story, uh, it wouldn't be treated as seriously. And that could be just my feelings on the matter, but. Yeah, I can see, I hear you. And I appreciate where that comes from. But I think it's harder for men. Women are, are, we're sharers, we're communicators amongst the sisters. We talk. And I think, yeah. I think if um, there wouldn't be so much of a gap in the suicide rate between men and women if men could talk. That's true. Like you said about that conference, people didn't realize that they weren't alone because they weren't talking about it. And maybe it was like, thank God there's a man talking. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important for men and women to see that. I think it's important for, because what if a woman's never seen a man admit to any trauma or, you know, just seeing a man speak his truth and own his emotions. If a woman's never seen that before, just by observing that man, she becomes enlightened that there is a more depth to to, to men. Well, I don't really so see any. Man, yeah, I don't really see any benefit to being the strong, silent type, other than you have a lot of uh, unresolved issues that are going to eat you up from the inside. I really, I see a lot of that. I mean, it's in women too, so I'm not trying to get anybody upset. And that that comes in form of substance, food, you know. We've, we've spoken on this before. And it's the ability to communicate and connect. There's some cultures where it's perfectly normal for two men to hold hands, and that's just a signal of friendship, that connection. So I don't know if it's just a Western thing. Uh-huh. I don't know. I can't say that I've ever held a man's hand. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm talking ever. I'm, I'm talking yeah. ever. I don't even think that happened when I was a little kid. No. And for women, it, well, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I've noticed that like between, it's more comfortable for women to, to maybe be more huggy or, you know. And there again, so 
I made my brief foray into Facebook and I noticed a meme about how, how important hugging is. Mm-hmm. Well, I only get hugs from, you know, like three female members of my family and that's it. So, you know, if hugging is as important as that article or that little meme was saying, then I'd be dead by now because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in on that at all. And, and I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the only guy that's like that, right? <laughs> well, I'm, I am a hugger, but just, you know, who do you hug? You know, just walk up to random people on the street and hug them. And I'm not hugging anybody at work because it's a construction site. I have a shirt that said free hug. <laughs> I so probably that, give out 15, 20 hugs a day. I hug a lot. But that gets back to that what's acceptable for men and women, like the way I grew up anyway. There was no men hugging I anybody. So. I think my free hugs t-shirt did creep some people out. Oh, did it? I think so. It was okay. <laughs> I wasn't a forceful free hugger. I was like, <laughs> well, hug snatcher. As, as long as you weren't wearing a mustache with it and, you know. Hiding, <laughs> leaping out from behind bushes. <laughs> I know, and, I, and consent. Because some people don't like to be touched. That's right. So do you mind if I give you a hug or would you like a hug? Consent's nice on everything. Consent is nice. <laughs> Have you ever asked anybody if they wanted a hug and they said no? Toddlers, because they're honest people. Mm. I can Toddlers see that. Are, they're like, no, I don't want to hug you, strange hippie. <laughs> okay, I respect that. <laughs> I understand. You're just so cute. <laughs> More people should be like toddlers. Because, I mean, I've had people agree to a hug, and then, like, once you're in there and committed to it, you realize that maybe... They're a little they, stiff. They, they're a little stiff and kind of like <laughs> trying to shake it off. I'm, I'm a serious hugger. You know I'm hugging you because I'm not a small woman. And I grab you and I give you. And sometimes I do the double squeeze. You know, like, you know you love. You're loved. That's when you leave that hug. When men uh, men hug, and I don't know because I'm not hugged by very many men, but they they quite often clap each other on the back, just to show that it's not a serious hug. Yeah. This is the formality. Slap, slap. <laughs> well, they usually grab each other's hands and pull each other in, and it's a one hand, like, pat, pat on the back. That's oh, yeah. a bro hug. I don't know. So there are some huggy men, but you, you always find that they apologize. It just it wasn't. Like, just maybe, like. There wasn't any hugging happening in my family. Like so that's, <laughs> it's a learned behavior to a degree, right? It has to be. Um and I'm comfortable hugging, like, say, my daughter or my wife. Mm-hmm. But I've gone out of my way to learn to be like that. Oh. So, but say we've told our story now. So we've we faced the fact that this traumatic thing or this event has happened in our past that, you know, created a really a big, uh, you know, time-stamped event for us that we have to deal with. And now we've mm-hmm. told our story. What's the next step? Because I think sometimes people get stuck on the telling part then. Is the understanding that you write the story. How do you want the story to play out? How do you want to write it? You're creating in it. So the story's there, that's fine, but you have to put it down mm-hmm. and write the story the way you would like to see it go. And then even if more trauma comes, you just get up and you keep writing the story. My meditation, um, I guess my yoga teacher said that you can observe yourself like an actor in a movie and make choices without that emotional response that triggers because i mean if you're walking around continuously emotionally triggered by everything 
it makes it very hard to pick a direction because life is happening to you. You're not able, you're just riding those emotions all the time. Did that for a long time. Well, and speaking of triggers, I don't really feel that it's uh, very responsible to make everybody else worry about your triggers all the time either. No. Because, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you can't, you can't talk about that. That's triggering me. Um, I know that's maybe not a popular opinion, but I really have a problem with people telling me that because I'm probably triggering them left and right whenever I'm around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Me, you're not alone. Well, even in class last night, I had a lady come and she was given uh, that minoxalone. I, I can't say it. I've been trying all day. That when you someone's overdosing and you give them the needle, she had to okay. take the training and she works on the at the high school on the reservation. And she was really kind of upset of even having to take the training that the drug problem in her school has gotten to the point where this is a necessity. And another student in the back of the class, she was like, oh, I can't listen to this. I have grandchildren. And the only thing I can think of saying was teach them to meditate. You know, like, but that one lady with her day triggered the lady in the back and all this fear came forward. And because meditations allowed me to see my own triggers mm -hmm. and learn to navigate them. But that's where I think things get confused is sometimes people get so concerned with managing their exterior circumstances so they're not triggered that they don't resolve the triggers from within, which for me has been a little bit more effective. I used to try and manage it from the outside. Well, you can only do so much. And, and like, just, just to be clear to anybody that's listening, I, I don't condone going around insulting people on purpose or, or triggering them on purpose. <laughs> but I might be straight up truthful where it might not be advantageous for me at times. Mm -hmm. Like if you talk directly. I did that accidentally on Facebook. This what happened there? I had made a post, um, which was a picture of the Holocaust. And it pretty much was saying, be careful of propaganda and to remember humanity and compassion. Like we're all humans. I've seen a lot of hate speech running across my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was quite delicate and neutral because I'm not taking a position on separating or not separating. I thought I just wanted people to remember that everybody is, is human. I don't care about your color, your creed. I don't care. We're human. And someone, one of my friends had seen this picture and just the picture of the Holocaust triggered her to see something that I didn't write or intend and involved in this altercation, which I didn't want to engage in on Facebook. So I ended up taking the post down, but it was, it was the picture of the Holocaust. That was the trigger. And it was just a warning of propaganda because in the university, my minor was sociology and we spent some time on looking at group manipulation and conditioning and the, what propaganda looks so it was, it was fascinating because this person was a is a good friend of mine and i don't know we just got all so then what do you do right so she's triggered which triggers me because i have triggers in that right <laughs> as a human being there's emotions that arise um what i had to do was leave her alone and come into myself and be like okay what parts of you are being triggered right now well there's the rejected little girl you know there's the victim that was popping up. Everybody's mean to me. I can't speak my truth, you know. And so th these are all mine. And it creates emotions within me. So I had to manage myself 
and return my own energy to neutral or my own mindset to neutral. But otherwise not, it was like very obvious. It was creating an emotional response within me. So, but, and then what happened is once I neutralized myself, I was able to look at the situation and find compassion for my friend and understanding that, you know, her parents were both war vets. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of programming that comes with that. So that, that wasn't my path. You know, I don't understand the trigger, but that doesn't not give it validity. So I could have compassion of someone who was just triggered of what a trigger is. So I couldn't have, once I found compassion, I couldn't be, you know, mean or distant because I knew what I was looking at. Does well, I think, I think if we go back to Frogger or Crossy Road, <laughs> the truck coming towards you is the trigger. And if you just freak out, it's going to run you over. Like the Facebook thing is, is, is a good example for a lot of people because you go on there and you just have to be careful sometimes to not even open your mouth. Um, Cause you get sucked into a huge conflagration. It'll just, you know, light a fire basically. If and you there's do the wrong no thing. Tone. There's no, you know, there's, there's so much room for assumption in that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, for our other podcast, I did an episode called the, uh, huge massacre at area 51, which didn't happen. It's, it's a parody, right. And it crossed my mind that I might be entering that, that zone just by posting that I put it on there anyway, because people have Mm -hmm. to be able to accept parody, but I run the risk of somebody totally not even listening to it and just coming unglued on me just because of the topic. Mm -hmm. And and if they do, you know that they haven't listened to it because they would realize right away that it's it's not true. But the problem is when you're when you're in that triggered state, you can't think very good sometimes. So they might not be even if they did listen to it, they might not be able to figure out what they're listening to because they've already made up their minds. Like they're already uh, they're already aimed. And they'll see what they want to see wherever they see it. That was my rough day today at the store where I was asking about the phase of the moon because there was a customer that came in. And I don't know, there is an entire backstory to it, but he was clearly not, not well. He didn't, he didn't look well. And he starts yelling that you're not a teacher. You're not a healer. You're not a nothing, Kyla. Like you, who do you think you are? And and I looked at him and I was like, well, my friend, I don't claim to be any of these things. I've never claimed to be any of these things and which and then which he calmed down and then he went to crying and needing a hug and then the emotions would rise again and his trigger would surface again and he'd become angry and it was this whole I was watching it kind of unfold in front of me (laughs) it was really intense because I mean my energy wants to join his does that make sense the erratic oh yeah and and the practice for me was to stay remove to remember what's mine because there's nothing i could do his mind was made up it's really easy to mirror mirror somebody when they're in that that kind of state oh yeah which i guess is probably our natural reaction it's a fight or flight Mm -hmm. and somebody's in your face they're attacking you Mm -hmm. and you feel like you should defend yourself Mm -hmm. or just melt into a puddle and not say anything and take the the lashing not and then in that, after it's over, you're like, I should have stood up for myself. For me, it was important that I assert those boundaries. Like, I, I make no claim to being the superhuman-powered guru miracle worker. Um, 
meditations offered me a lot, but that's what I wish to share is that ability to connect with your own heart. So no matter what I'm doing. So that was the only boundary I was looking to to assert and it was well received. But I just kinda let him ride his his cycle out. But there's a point in time where or depending on where I was at, like very I'm human. I could have just joined right in. Um even with meditation. And that 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 can happen. I know even last week I was on my way to join your public session of yoga and you know there was a big truck in the way and and there was traffic issues and then this this lady cut me off like just blatantly cut me off and got in front of me and then I managed to pass her I might have gestured not with a specific finger anything but my whole hand (laughs) (laughs) and I got I got in front of her and then she caught right up to me and I thought oh great so I just cut somebody off let my temper get the best of me and she's probably going to yoga right now because that would be, you know, the way things go sometimes. <laughs> anyway, she wasn't, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, that would have been awesome. At least then, everybody would have been going to the right space, catch some breath. <laughs> but it's things like that. That's right after, you know, meditation, notwithstanding, these things still happen. You, you uh, get caught up in the moment and, or at yeah. least I do. I used to have a really bad temper. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it's not present anymore. But every once in a while, it pops out again. Yeah, I'm pretty spicy. I get really excited. Sometimes even when I don't mean to be aggressive, I think I'm off that way a little bit. But we're not really looking to cure that condition. We're just looking to know that condition, right? Observe it, yeah. I mean, there's lots of times, even with meditation, I'm the jerk. (laughs) Well, as long as you're an aware jerk, then you've succeeded. (laughs) (laughs) it's true because it's like there is an asshole in me that's like it it exists but it's not the suppression of that it's the acceptance and that doesn't give you a green light to go around being a complete jerk but just the capacity to know that it does exist that you can be the asshole and not everybody else all the time sometimes it's you Well, you do run into those people that uh, they're they're just blatantly telling what they call the truth and upsetting people, and then they say, "Well, I'm just telling the truth," and that that's getting back to that uh, going out of your way to trigger people. That's not nice. And and consent. Yeah. Did they ask you for your truth? Usually not on Facebook. They thought? didn't. <laughs> oh, right. And that's I think. Um, that was, I think, what probably hurt the most is that a conversation wasn't brought to my attention as a friend, because this person has my phone number and like, hey, Kyla, like, what were you saying? Where are you at? Did you mean this? Or that that connection, that ability to hear tone in the voice, and the oh my goodness, or give me the opportunity to be like, I didn't realize this was going to upset you, you know. It's not what I intended, or this is what I meant to say. Or, I mean, at the bottom line, at the end of the day, it's just flipping Facebook, fake book. It is, but uh, Facebook has been known to, to end in suicide for some people, so we have to take it pretty seriously. I thank you for that. Yeah, that's true. And it's, uh, so yeah. I guess if we could just, as far as what we can do about triggering events, there there used to be that saying, just 10 deep breaths. <laughs> it works. And if, if a person could just remember to do that 
And I have caught myself since meditating a couple of times. I've been in these boardroom meetings that were going south yeah. and people were in attack mode. And I have been able to use deep breathing to stay somewhat calm. Like, you know, I'm sure my heart rate was raised and uh, <laughs> my eyes were probably wide and everything else. But at the same time, I was still thinking because I was remembering to breathe. You were still, yeah, yeah, remembering to think. I was using, I was using my faculty. And that's all it's been for me is for mental health. Because what happens, you allow the trigger to full and go into swing. You bring in all your defense mechanisms, which for me can be anywhere from flight to fight to, depending on the circumstance. And then what I go through after I ride that trigger out and bring in my defense mechanisms. Because in order to keep your defense mechanism, defense mechanism with you, you have to keep giving your brain something to think that there's danger about. So you keep replaying or hashing out scenarios. I think that that article that I mentioned right off the top there about from Inc. Magazine, where that, that person's saying that uh, your body's capable of dealing with the emotional aspect or the, with, the, with the fight or flight thing within a minute and a half, mm-hmm. that doesn't really play out in the real world because like say we're talking about being cut off in traffic i still remember that weeks later so how do you make that go away in a minute and a half or say this this gentleman that you were talking to in the store there like that's there's going to be waves waves going through you from for for a couple days from oh yeah that's right i have to choose i have to make sure i'm vigilant on my thoughts i understand where i'm directing my thoughts when i start to get wrapped up in the story and riding out the emotions because my pattern in aggressive males is to fight. I don't know if that's too much information, but so I, I immediately head into the masculine and I'm ready to, but it, even though I kept my faculties, just like in your board meeting, you're right. I still have to process it out of my energy, out of my body because I still rode that out. I still was on high alert. There was still a part of me that was like danger, but not to leap to my, to my defense mechanism. And grab my weapon, not, you know, figuratively, whether it's a verbal weapon or a physical weapon, it's it's weapons a weapon. So now I have to be vigilant in my thoughts, which, I mean, I try to remain as much as I can, not saying I don't get wrapped up in them at all. That's not what I'm saying, but when I'm aware of my thoughts, I can find center in the moment and let it go just for that one moment and see if I can't reverse it. Because I'm sure if you spend 90 seconds on a positive thought, that thought will gain momentum as well. That's true. I think setting has more to do with it than anybody wants to admit as well. A lot of this is not in our control. Uh, this particular incident happened at your work. Mm-hmm. So your, your reactions at work are always going to be slightly different or massively different than if it's, you know, on your front porch, say, or at Walmart. But isn't like, what is the trigger? Because for me, an aggressive man's an aggressive man. I don't care where he is. That's true. It might affect you differently at work than at Walmart, though, because Walmart's an impersonal place and your personality isn't wrapped up in what you're doing at Walmart. Whereas if he comes at you about your work, that is more your core identity. Yeah. That would be more like coming, I mean, coming at your porch. I guess so. I see your analogy. A little slow on you. <laughs> <laughs> And that, that isn't part, that isn't something that we're, that's really in our control. That is just the circumstances of it. Either or though, I think the process may be similar. 
don't you think? I still have to. Yeah, choose. I think so. I know what personally I'd be more likely to give somebody a piece of my mind at Walmart than at work because the repercussions are a little lower. What are they going to do? Kick me out where they can fire oh. me at work. <laughs> I think I was more interested in observing his emotional responses and mine simultaneously. Like I could see him go through his pattern and I, I was so focused on maintaining my stillness. So I didn't need to change my environment. Does that make sense? Yes. So aware of the triggers as they were popping up where you're like, you know, I've been known to forward fold at Walmart because it's stressful. 10 breaths forward fold because I can't figure out how many loads I can do for 11.95. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Were you trying to pick a loaf of bread or? Yes. I am. <laughs> too many choices. Too many choices. <laughs> ADD, ADD, too many choices. I don't. I think. I think maybe that gentleman would have had worse luck with me because I was already feeling savage at Walmart. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Why? And I do. I try and do the math, and my phone's out, and oh my goodness, too many choices. And I think that um, in our more natural state, humans would not have so many choices at once of one thing. That's true. We do have a lot of. A lot of stuff going on. But I think it is our natural state now. I don't know. Are we faking it? Well, we are from nature. We were created by nature. And we're still surrounded by nature. How could how could we be okay, not in yeah. nature? <laughs> no, Walmart is now our nature. <laughs> it's directly rose from nature. Via us. I feel as though maybe if I was living in nature that I would forage for a snack when I was hungry or kind of eat along my way. Yeah, and you would probably just pick up a rock when that male approached you <laughs> <laughs> and solve the problem. <laughs> I'm still modern in this, in this little <laughs> fantasy of mine. Just wandering. I think I need to go hiking in a few weeks. A little connection. Did we have a topic? Did this turn into a topic? I guess our topic must be... Um, triggering events and how we can deal with them. Mm. So, so far we've got breath. Yeah. And I guess if, if we are in a regular, any sort of regular meditation or yoga practice, hopefully that's going to give us mindfulness, which mm -hmm. is going to give us space to, space to figure out what we're supposed to do because what we need is space, right? We need, like <clears> we the need shower. the space. We need the space to react mm -hmm. or not react. Mm-hmm boundaries like if you got a friend that's always triggering you maybe don't go to lunch with them <laughs> well that's true enough some things it's unavoidable to be affected by but i feel like we make it other people's responsibilities to not trigger us instead of dealing with these issues i think there is some people out there though that don't engage because they're afraid of the imposition of their triggers that they know their triggers are there and they don't want to impose on other people so they choose to isolate I think I would probably go more on that spectrum. So I think that you're right. Like there's people that want other people to manage their triggers for them. But I do think that there's a whole bunch of people that isolate themselves because they have triggers. And they don't really know that everybody else does too. Okay. And they may not know what to do about them or have any means to affect their reactions. That's right. Isolation is a, is a, is a defense mechanism all on its own. I mean, you're my friend. You know I, sometimes I still isolate very safe space for some people 
So meditation actually allowed me to come out of my shell a little bit and interact with people despite my triggers and odd interactions and idiosyncrasies. But I was almost, there was a point in time where I felt like I needed to protect people from me. Not that I was violent or lashed out, but I would get emotional or, you know, I've seen, seen things and I have a story that's uncomfortable for a lot of people and for some, not everybody. I have had some amazing people, but almost feeling like a burden because I have triggers. That That's a hard spot to feel yourself in. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd feel bad for myself because I created a really cool little world where I did was like color anatomy books, <laughs> play with my kids. I, coming out of my shell was a very conscious, I had to choose to not be afraid and to want to meet people and to want to connect because it was easier not to connect. Yeah. And I suppose we've all done it. We've all uh, told ourselves stories to justify why we're not doing the actions that we subconsciously know we should be doing too. Absolutely. Yeah. I used to I used to get really embarrassed because I'm half blind and I walk into things all the time. And I mean, looking at me, you wouldn't know that I'm half blind. Both my eyes work. I have two eyes, like biological eyes in my head. But I was forever running and I ran over a couple little old ladies and, you know, I felt like I was a danger to society because I was mowing over and I'm not a tiny woman. So I'm you know, when I hit a little tiny old woman and she goes flying, I, I really did feel like a danger. Or sometimes I'd, I would panic before I was, you know, before I could go longer and longer periods of time. I'd be in a mall and all of a sudden I would panic. So then I didn't want to go to the mall with someone because what if I panicked and they couldn't finish their shopping, you know? <laughs> okay. Wrecking their day. Wrecking their day because I can't deal with my triggers. You know, there was a, yeah. Well, and a lot of us, because I don't, I've had very, very minor panic attacks, but uh, a lot of us who don't have PTSD or panic attacks or any, any of those kind of anxiety issues, it's really hard for us to understand what's going on when those are happening. And I think some people don't even believe they exist because they've just never experienced it. I phoned the ambulance twice because I thought I was dying. I mean, that's like a $400 bill in Canada. <laughs> hmm. I honestly, honest to God, felt like I was, I was it. I was going to the point where I phoned the ambulance. And they're probably not super excited to tell you the news that, uh, well, they're just going to tell you it's all in your head, right? Well, they know what it is. They know it's PTSD. Mm-hmm. So they know how to treat it. They give me, you know. But I mean, I'm having a physiological response to a thought I can't let go of in that state. So there's danger all around and your heart's going through the biological response of, you know, the heart rate, dilated pupils, you're doing it. You contract, like I have a, a, I will clench my jaw and that restricts the neck, the blood going to the head because the neck muscles contract. So then you're not getting any oxygenation. I mean, and that's where the breath is. That's what the breath did to me because or did for me because everybody was offering me all sorts of tools of, Oh, snap this bracelet on your wrist. I'm like, what if I don't have the bracelet? Right. Cause then you start panicking about this bracelet that you're supposed to have with you all the time. If you don't have the bracelet, you have no way to go to the panic attack. Oh my God. Oh my God. I mean, you're panicking. And, uh, at the breath for me, I was like, well, if I'm not breathing, I guess I don't need to calm down. <laughs> so I'm dead. <laughs> 
and it changed, it revolutionized the ability to be present with my breath, offered me a life. It really did. And I think that that's why I feel like when he, when that man today was like, you're not a teacher, you're not, I was like, no, I'm a neurotic and I have PTSD and this helps, this helps. That's all I think, no? That's, that's the only thing. And I mean, and I teach it because I studied it and studied it and studied it. And I've had students that were trying so hard to learn to breathe because of anxiety and panic attacks. And I get phone calls and that's where we go. We just go to the breath. I wouldn't ask them about their problems. I wouldn't, I don't know why I'm calling you. <laughs> we're going to breathe. Come on. Yeah, too bad you didn't have somebody to phone to help you breathe instead of the ambulance. But I guess you didn't know that's what the problem was, right? No. And I mean, the worst part is, is I have trauma surrounding the hospital. <laughs> so I was, I was phoning the death wagon to take me for mm-hmm. sure to the Grim Reaper. Like that just intensified the, the panic. But I don't have these issues. Well, sometimes I, I'm not going to say I don't have them because I don't know what's coming. Sometimes in the hospital, I'll hit a floor or a smell and I'll, I'll be triggered and I just have to remind myself that that's not reality. That's, you know, the story I'm telling myself. I'm here in the moment. What is the moment offering me? What is unfolding in front of me right now? Otherwise not, I'm, you know, curled up in a ball crying like a baby. And then, I mean, with post-traumatic stress syndrome, like you almost hate yourself for having it. It seems like the uh, like an unsolvable problem when you're in the middle of it, eh? Yeah. Like you're backed into a... Until you can understand. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing is the inability to let stuff go. Maybe that is the post-traumatic stress syndrome all on its own. But there's there's a part of me too that I feel... And, and I had to get used to not riding my adrenal glands. Maybe the stress itself becomes an addiction, that continuous space and in fight or flight. Maybe that's an addiction. You just get so used to being in it when you're not in it anymore. It's weird. I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people do have that problem because they are constantly causing drama to get everything amped back up again. Absolutely. Even the cycle of abusive relationships, there's the whole romance period that offers a whole set of hormones. And then there's the abuse period. And there's like, there's a whole cycle. And that was really the key was what is my cycle? And there's like many cycles, right? Like there's cycles inside of cycles inside of cycles, but you start pulling them apart and getting to know yourself and getting to know, you know, what is real. Is there a threat? Because I I mean, I could be over vigilant. That guy just raised his eyebrow twice. What's that mean? You know, (laughs) when you've seen a fair bit of trauma, you can be super aware. And then if I'm in a space, because if I'm in a space looking for danger, I could be super aware of anything that could closely resemble danger. Mm-hmm. Like I was roofied by a hockey team and I didn't know who did it. And that's the, who's the perpetrator? Every, every man's day, you know, you got to let that go. Yeah. And there was, you know, triggers, triggers are weird because they, they can layer. Uh, the first time I walked into a hockey arena after I wanted to vomit, it was the smell of the ice. And it was tied to that night. And I hadn't gone anywhere near hockey since that night. So even though it wasn't a part of the direct assault, you know. So well, how do you know that trigger's coming? That's right. Like, 
if we're talking hockey rinks, there's one of those in the middle of West Edmonton Mall, and you might not even think about that, but if you're walking up and there it is. You know that's funny? <laughs> that's where I was. Hmm. That is funny because that is immediately the location I was looking at in my head. And um, yeah, I didn't, I, I, you know, I couldn't have predicted that. So now I'm at West Edmonton Mall. I'm supposed to be having fun with my friends. And that's exactly where this West Edmonton Mall, if we want to go full circle, that's exactly where the mall story from earlier came up. So I'm in the bathroom hyperventilating, you know, <laughs> any direct threat around me? Absolutely not. Cause, but once my mind grabbed onto that thought, Nothing could stop it until I let go of the thought. And I just wasn't as far along in my practice. And I think of like relationships that I've, I've harmed. I think of um, a lot of ways that I made things a lot harder for myself unknowingly. And you can have guilt and shame behind that. But I mean, ultimately, it comes to making peace, I think. Because I didn't know better, but now I know better and I'm doing better. So let that girl rest, you know. She was doing her best. <laughs> she didn't know. <laughs> I guess the fact that it did remain out on top, though, does allow you to work on the issue. <clears throat> Whereas if it was totally buried, you'd still have these problems. You'd just be unable to view them and unable to affect them, right? Yeah. I feel as though the choice to look and the choice to want to engage made the difference wanting to face it, not wanting to live like I choose, just like those ladies. I had to choose. It was way easier on lockdown, not facing my triggers. It was way easier locked in my house with my toddlers in a little dreamland, pretending we lived in a musical, you know. <laughs> I couldn't stay there forever, though. It was safe, and it was... But you start to miss connection. Not that I didn't have my children to connect to, but like other connections, intellectual connections, friendships. Uh, seeing things in a different perspective. I'm an extraordinarily curious human being. I love to hear people's stories. For the number of people that come out and tell their story, how many people don't? I know uh, just from my own personal situation. So I, I came from a place where there was a, there was a lot of abuse for most of the kids in 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 our family. Now I'm talking all my cousins and everybody, and they've all just all now pretend basically that it didn't happen shows up other places though, right? i guess so i'm it's now to the point where most of our families spread apart and a lot of them don't talk to each other and uh mm -hmm. but i just i just know the story of what's happened that i know of i'm the only one that's been talking publicly about it which is not easy no and i'm not saying that i'm that doesn't make me better than them or anything. It just means that I dealt with my issues in a different way because I never forgot that it had, like I, it was always in the back of my head for the longest time and it had to come out. Um, I feel like probably they've totally buried it and it's locked up tight. So that's going to come out in, uh, it might, they might get sick. It's going to affect all their relationships. It'll, you can't actually bury it and not have it come back out somewhere. It's going to be affecting their, their entire lives. Mm -hmm. And similar with uh, various things in your life, if, if you hadn't, uh, you know, done some internal work, then you'd still be having your anxiety attacks and still hiding at your house. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And I mean, back to men talking and back to, to that, like the men at the conference, like, I don't know. I 
there isn't enough gratitude in my heart for the gentleman that sat with me in pure neutrality with no objectification and seen me. Does this make sense? Yep. That was the, probably the greatest gift because what happens with multiple layers of, of sexual trauma, I use that, my little, my fingers are up because I don't like to look at it like that. It's just something that happened. And um, the vibration of desire can come off very dangerous. So the men that never, ever sat there, or like objectified me sexually and just had conversations and honored my intelligence. Um, those conversations were worth my weight in gold because they were safe space. And then slowly you see more and more, right? Because once my mind was aware, once my mind, or once I was aware of this and we, I had these altercations, I knew it existed. So then not all men could be bad because here this, the universe offered me up these prime examples of someone who hasn't objectified you and held perfectly safe space. But I mean, I very well could have put myself in a position to never have those experiences and never choose to change. And men continuous, continue to be dangerous in my, through my lens. But it's my lens. I choose. And I mean, to be honest with you, it was necessary. I was gifted two beautiful boys. And for me to honor them fully as men, I had to, to come to terms with men. Or else I would be raising them with some sort of deficit towards men. And that's not fair. So it was not only a gift to me, it was a gift to my sons. And that's how authenticity works. When you can show up truly authentic for someone, even though you don't know who you're affecting. I'm sure those men didn't know they had just changed my life in those conversations. Mm-hmm. But they did. And then in, in turn, in, in those experiences, like I said, change shape. Once I change shape, things change shape for my children. The stronger I am, the stronger my children are. So vulnerability, the act of vulnerability and authenticity, um, without measure a beautiful gift doesn't always seem to be part of regular life it's not easy no one wants to be rejected and when you show up vulnerable and authentic you put it out there to be rejected and that's truly how i felt even with my friend in the facebook post i felt rejected like what do you mean you don't know me like you know those those facebook issues they always feel like a i'm sure that that's happened almost everybody it feels like like a sneak attack you you feel like you're totally blindsided. You didn't intend to insult anybody. You thought you were putting out there something, you know, that that was okay. And then, bam. But yeah. I guess that's how the person that uh, reacted to it felt as well, in a way. Maybe, yeah. Because, I mean, she didn't, I, she didn't intend to be triggered. Yeah, she was just walking along and then some insensitive person put this out there and she had no choice but to... React. Because yeah. it triggered her. No, yeah. do I get it? Like, <laughs> I've curled up at a ball in Walmart for the love of God. I see you, my sister. I see you. I get triggers. I mean, I mean, with the with the gentleman in the store, my my big thing is is that I never, I never ever show up for any other reason, just to show up. There's no one I want to be. I just don't want to panic. I want to thrive. I want to. I want to create a beautiful life i want to learn to manipulate the matrix i want to work with manifestation and abundance and alignment i want to learn and grow i'm not here to fit into anybody's idea of who i should be when you start making claims like teacher guru or master you know that that sets you up for a whole set of (laughs) expectations that i'm not ready to accept responsibility for okay well how about guide guide sherpa 
That's what I tell yeah. my children. I'm their life Sherpa. Good luck. Well, I even tell people that I'm blind. <laughs> Don't follow me. Don't follow blind people. You're, we're going to end up drunk and naked and somewhere dangerous, Tim. Like, you know, like, do you, if you like drunk, naked, and dangerous, that's cool. Like, that's how I roll. I like to do big things. I like to travel to exotic places. I like, so don't follow me. You don't have to do those things to be valuable if those are totally not you and you just like to knit and pet kittens and that's you and you're happy. So even followers, like legitimately, don't follow me. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm offering something to your heart, beautiful. And let's connect and let's meet as heart and let's meet as humans. And tell me your story, because I would love to hear it, and I'll learn something. Because how, how am I a guide if my students have been guiding me this whole time? Well, it's a mutual thing. Mm-hmm. It's this beautiful exchange where everybody learns. So, I mean, like, I don't know, we have archetypes within us. I'm a teacher, I'm a mother, I'm a lover, I'm a sister, I'm a pirate. There's many hats that I fluctuate through. My core values remain the same. I'll try not to hurt you, but I may trigger you, I guess, you know? I mean no harm in being, but sometimes just your being triggers people. Well, and I know that's the case with myself yeah. and I'm not going to apologize for that. No, It happens at work. I'm sure all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, all you have to do is be confident in yourself and speak your mind and you're going to make people upset because they aren't like that. And uh, you're threatening them. For that uncommon woman conference that I went to, they asked, that if you'd like to, if, as a participant, you can send in a black and white photo and you can write on your body. And I'm going to write across my forearm, who do you think you are? Mm. <laughs> I've heard that a few times in my life. <laughs> but it's because I stand straight and I take up space. And that hasn't always been easy. And the same for you, I'm assuming. Has it been easy to take up space or did you have to learn to do it? It wasn't easy, th- so that's why I went and did it. Um, I'm I'm contrary. (laughs) An uncommon man. And I would love to see a platform that welcomed, and I don't know if it's possible, and I don't know if I'm just being a dreamer, but a platform where women and men can meet in that same space as equals. And I know that we have some guests coming up, like we have a a male and a female guest coming so far, which has been male, which has been awesome. Yeah, so maybe say a little bit about about your uh, guests that you have coming up. Uh, yeah, Michael Fillinger, he's the manic mechanic. Uh, he has a wonderful perspective on mental health and the importance, importance of nature, uh, fitness, and uh, spirituality. So I'm really excited to share what he has to say. He has a really interesting story. And then Miss Melissa McCarthy, who is the yoga teacher. She's yogi and a massage therapist. And she has a really neat perspective on communication with the body i really i always love talking to her she's a beautiful open mind so i'm excited to have her on so yeah do you got anybody lined up well magic wants wants to come back and talk to us again other than that uh not yet although i think we should cycle them back in no we should let's do that let's do that there is uh another person that has written about gratitude and he's got a new book about about anxiety and I was cool. thinking about contacting him. He's one of my friends that I know in the States. Cool. So that that's probably going to happen as well. I like that we're getting this ball rolling. I like our you and me time though. 
Well, you never know exactly where we're going to end up with this, but I, no. it seems to be seems to be divinely inspired. So we'll just go with it. I'm down. Probably are we into a two part episode again now, or should we? <laughs> no, no, we're we're about uh, about where we should end it, though. I think sounds good. Not life, just the podcast. <laughs> oh, glad you cleared that up. <laughs> I said, finally, I'm free. Tim said I take over. Yeah. Well, thank you for holding space with me and making it comfortable to share. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Appreciate it. And thanks for anybody listening. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to all of our listeners. And hopefully it helps. Okay.